We meet today in Psalm chapter 13 to chapter 15. First of all, we are seeing David's desperate plight. Beginning with uh, chapter 13, this is a rather sad section of the book of Psalms. As we have said, Psalm 9 through to Psalm 15 deal with that time of trouble, which is coming, the great tribulation. And the ones who figure during this time, the Antichrist, the Jewish remnant, which will be true to God, it will be a time of great testing. A time of great testing. Now, David wrote Psalm 13 out of his own trying experiences, but it has a contemporary interpretation. Also, it has a prophetic or chronological interpretation reaching down into the end times after the church is removed from the earth. David is being pursued as he writes these psalms, probably by King Saul. He may have been hiding at this time in the cave of Adullam while the Philistines were teamed up to hound him out. Day after day, he found himself in a desperate situation. In weariness of body and soreness of mind and heart, he cries out to God. Again, David had learned that God is his only resource and recourse. Elsewhere in the book of Chronicles, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, even when his own men were turning against him, threatening to stone him. So what does he do at this time? He cries out to God for help. Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Here David sounds extremely pessimistic. He feels that God has forsaken him, that he is on his own, what you have here, as Dillich describes it, is a long, deep sigh. It comes finally from a relieved breast by an already much more gentle and half-calmed prayer. David is pessimistic. He continues, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 13 verse 2. You see, David is asking, how long will this continue? This time David is a very weary man. Then he turns to God in prayer. Again, God is his resource, is his recourse. It is wonderful to see even David expressing his deep-seated thoughts. He is not afraid to come to God and even speak how he is feeling. What a wonderful opportunity to be able to express what you are feeling before your God. Psalm 13 verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. You see, David was actually in grave danger when he wrote this. And he was afraid to go to sleep for fear that his enemies would kill him while he is asleep. Yet he needed rest badly. 
so he asked the Lord to protect him and even give him sleep. So he says, consider and hear me, O oh my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Psalm 13 verse 4. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. You see, the enemy would rejoice if he would get to David. The rejoicing of the enemy would not only be against David, but against God also. So he prays that the enemy will not get the upper hand. After having heaved his awful sigh of sorrow, he continues in prayer and finally settles back in the wonderful faith and the trust that he has in God. It's wonderful to see that this man trusted in God. No wonder the word of God calls him David, the man after God's own heart. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 13 verse 5. Here David did not think he was smart enough to get out of his predicament on his own. He took precautions, of course, but he knew that only God could deliver him. God was his salvation. And so you hear him speaking these words, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 13 verse 6 I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Listen to him now. He is already believing that God has dealt bountifully with him, and his enemies have already been pushed back and overcome. You see, in this psalm, we see, we have seen the desperate plight of David, which mirrors actually the plight of God's people in the great tribulation. Yet David continued to praise God. We must learn to praise God during both good and bad seasons of life. Even for Israel during the great tribulation, God will be watching. And it will be good for people to turn to God. By the way, the tribulation will be God's hand of turning Israel to himself. Psalm chapter 14 actually talks of the depravity of men in the last days. And of course, we are seeing the atheistic, the filthy, and the rebellious. They are revealed in this chapter. Chapter 14 is linked to the other Psalms, especially Psalm 12. In Psalm 12, you will recall that we saw the corruption of the last days. The godly man had seized, it seemed, and the godless were in control. Corruption wickedness and lawlessness abounded. You may think it is a picture of this day, but if I may use the common colloquialism of the streets, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait until the great tribulation. If you think that was worse, another time which is even worse is coming. So this psalm certainly sets before us the corruption and the wickedness of the last day, which is the end of the age. The psalm divides in three parts. Psalm 14, 
divides in three, into three parts. The corruption of the world, the enmity against the people of God, and the longing and prayer for salvation. This is the picture of Psalm 14. It is brief, but it is very important. Therefore, we look first of all at the corruption of the world. The corruption of the world. Psalm 14 verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is no one who does good. Now the Hebrew word for fool in this verse is Nabal. This may ring a bell in your thinking because there was a man by the same name Nabal who was married to a lovely woman by the name Abigail. His story is told in 1 Samuel chapter 25. His name certainly characterized him accurately. He acted as a fool. The word Nabal may be translated simply, may be translated simple, silly, simpleton, fool, insane, or madman. You see, now that makes sense. I will read again that verse. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. You see, man has found that the universe works more accurately than any clock or watch he has ever been able to make. And there is no watch running around that just happened. Some watchmaker made that just happened. No, no, no. The truth is there is a watchmaker somewhere who made it. The universe that is timed more accurately than a watch tells us that there is a universe maker. This universe did not just happen by chance. The universe tells that there is one who caused it to be. The wonderful design in the universe also tells us that this should have come from an intelligent mind. But with all this revelation before our very eyes, there is someone who the Bible describes as a madman, an insane one, a simpleton, a fool, a silly person. That is the one who has said in his heart, there is no God. And now the fool begins. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And now the fool begins to appear on the scenes. We have had already a glimpse of him in Psalm 10 verse 4 where we read, God is not in all his thoughts. And a better translation of this is, all of his thoughts are, there is no God. He exhibits the very depth of human depravity. Psalm chapter 14, verse 2. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Isn't this very interesting? That God is looking and he is looking on the earth to see the kind of people who are going up and down. 
And then he makes a distinction out of them. Some he calls fools. But he is looking for the wise ones who seek after God. When God looked down upon, and as he continues to look, what does he find? See what he finds. Psalm 14 verse 3. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Actually, the Apostle Paul quoted this verse in Romans chapter 3 verse 12. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Paul is not speaking about atheists. He is speaking about everyone, you see. This is a picture of you and me. And I am not an atheist, and I don't imagine you are. But we are sinners. That is the bottom line. We do not do good. The condition of man is corrupt. And the first three verses tell us the depths to which man can go. It is even going beyond the depths of an animal to claim that there is no God. But those depths that human beings can go will not just lead them to a level like that. They also tend them to become enemies of God. It brings in about the question of enmity against God and the people of God themselves. They are not only against God, but they are against the people of God. Here is Psalm 14 verse 4 to verse 6. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not all call on the Lord. There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Now, there is a lot of pretense upon the part of the rich politicians today. They don't know anything about what the poor man goes through, and yet they pretend to be charitable, to be generous and liberal. We know that they do it often, not necessarily for the sake of the poor, but they do it in order to stay in the office. Yet I know one person who will love the poor for the sake of their need, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not running for any office. He is not campaigning to become somebody among the people. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is already in his office. Yet the rich, they are like the rich man who always let some crumbs fall off his table for the poor man to keep him satisfied. Well, I find no rich man today giving up his riches to help the poor. What little you and I accumulate, he, the rich person, including the politicians, will take all of it to death. Yet, he somehow escapes taxation himself as well. God certainly knows the human nature. Does he not, my friend? But the picture of men has been given, and it is a deplorable picture. This leads us to the section where we are looking at the longing and the prayer for salvation. Having considered to see the plight of people, 
desiring that there is no God and there is also enmity with the people of God. There is this prayer that longs for salvation. Now here is a note of triumph. Psalm 14 verse 7. All that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. This verse looks forward in anticipation to that great glorious day when out of Zion will come salvation for Israel. In that day, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. You cannot misunderstand this verse, my friend. Anyone who says that God does not have a future purpose for Israel is admitting that he doesn't know very much about the Psalms. See what is being said here in this psalm. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Israel. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And indeed, this is talking about the future. Uh, someone who does not believe that God has a plan for Israel may try to avoid what is so clearly stated in other passages of the word of God. But how can you deny the heart cry and the joy of the psalmist in the future when God establishes a kingdom on earth with Israel at the center? This is a wonderful psalm. And this leads us to Psalm 15. And Psalm 15 is a description of those who will be in the presence of God. Those who will be in the presence of God. Psalm 15 is another brief psalm which will conclude the section which began right back in Psalm 9. If you will review these psalms, you will see a definite development. Let me walk with you a little journey. Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 picture certain men who is characterized by pride, boasting, and self-sufficiency. Psalm 11 deals with the testing of the righteous. Psalm 12, we saw the godly in the midst of godlessness and the ultimate godlessness of the great tribulation. Psalm 13 mirrors the plight of God's people in the great tribulation. Psalm 14 shows us the depravity of man in the last days with his atheistic attitude and his filthy and rebellious ways. Now Psalm 15 tells us about those who shall enter the kingdom. It describes those who are going to be in the presence of God, Jehovah. Psalm 15 verse 1. Lord who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill. This psalm calls us to integrity, to be the kind of people who will be able to ascend the mountain of the Lord. There is only one holy hill, and the Bible calls it Zion, which is in the land of Israel. He is talking about those who will enter the millennial kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, that kingdom Christ will establish on earth with Israel as its center. And so here is Psalm 15 verse 2 to verse 4. He who walks uprightly 
and walks righteously and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eye a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. The only person who ever was of such integrity is Jesus Christ. And yet it is also a noble cause for us to aspire to be such a person. We hear the statement, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, my friend. In our contemporary world, contemporary culture, the opposite is often true. The vile person is honored and the godly man is being despised. And here we also hear, he who swears to his own head and does not change. That means he will go on record for the truth and will not change his story to protect himself. This kind of a person, his word is his bond. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He remains the same person seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Psalm 15 verse 5. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. You see, my friend, in this psalm, David is saying exactly what James said. In James chapter 2 verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I like the way John Calvin put it, Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. Who is going to stand before God? Those who have had a faith in God that has produced a life of righteousness. At this time that we are living in, there is so much talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is going to come. Yet there is no corresponding change in the lives of people. Are we really expecting him to come? If we are expecting him to come, we will purify our hearts. We will walk a worthy walk. We will be people of integrity. Right with God, right with man, right with God, and right with our neighbor. My friend, if you really believe Jesus is coming soon, or even if you believe you will someday stand before him to give an account, you will need to make sure that you live your life in such a way that it will count for God. This is the real test that will prove whether or not you love him. And look for Jesus' return. Are you looking for his return? How are you living? Are you living a pure life? Getting your sins washed by the blood of the Lamb. Confessing all known sins. And making sure that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one 
4475. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code 27 followed by 72641-4475. From within South Africa, it's 072-641-4475.